Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. One of the reasons why Isaiah's prophecy is so beloved is because of all the messianic prophecy that tells us what Messiah is going to bring about, how he's going to establish justice, righteousness, holiness, godliness, and the glory of God will be manifested through him. There's many good things that we hear concerning Messiah in this book of Isaiah. And one of the ways that Isaiah reveals Messiah, he calls him the servant, the servant of the Lord. Now, there are debates. Who really is this servant? Some will say it's Israel, the Jewish people. Others will say, no, it is Messiah. Now, when we look carefully at the text that we'll be studying in the weeks to come, we'll learn something. We'll see that there are a few of these prophecies concerning the servant of the Lord that will indeed be speaking about Israel, the Jewish people. We need to remember that God has placed a call upon Israel. They have a unique calling, a special purpose. But ultimately, the vast majority of these prophecies in regard to the servant of the Lord, they do indeed relate to Messiah, the Redeemer of the Lord, the Savior. And we see something that we cannot ignore. In other places, also in Isaiah, but other prophets as well, and in other scriptures. The Word of God reveals a close unity, a, a connection between Israel and Messiah. For example, we all know that, that Israel wound up in Egypt, and God brought the Jewish people out of the land of Egypt. We know in the New Covenant, that Messiah, he went down to Egypt with his parents. And from there, the scripture says, from Egypt, I will call out my son. So similar, Israel was in Egypt. Yeshua, the Messiah, he was in Egypt. And there's many things that when you look at it, we see that it's prophecy in one sense concerning Israel, but it will be fulfilled by the Messiah. And this teaches us a very important theological truth that ultimately it will be Messiah that completes the call of Israel in this age, in this time period. And it's to show to the reader this relationship 
and how God through covenant loves the Jewish people. He has anointed the land of Israel. He has sanctified it, the Bible says, for a purpose. And again, ultimately, it's going to be the Messiah that brings about, that completes this purpose. And it has broader, broader implications than just the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, or the land of Israel. We're going to see undeniably it goes to the outermost parts of the earth. Well, with that said, take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Isaiah and chapter 42. We're going to begin in this brief study at this time, the first part of this chapter. Then we'll conclude next week the longer half of this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 42. Let's begin with verse 1. And we see immediately that God is speaking about the servant, his servant. Verse 1. Behold my servant, I uphold him. Now, this phrase for upholding is a term of support. Some will point out that this word support also obligates, demands, reveals a provision. So God the Father is saying, I am going to support, I'm going to provide for, I'm going to assist, I'm going to uphold him. And what this tells us has an important outcome, that this one, this servant of the Lord, he is going to be successful. He is going to accomplish the call that is upon him. So once more, verse, verse 1. Behold my servant, I will uphold him, my chosen one, my soul delights. And the implication is, in this chosen one, in him, my soul delights. And this soul speaks of the, the very essence of God, that he delights. And this word for delights is a word of, of desire, a word of want. So God is behind. He is supportive. He is desiring everything that Messiah is going to indeed bring about. It all is the outcome of the will of God. And then we read something more about this servant of the Lord. God is speaking and he says, I have set, meaning it is done. It is a, a revelation of, of God's sovereign choice. He says, I have set my spirit upon him. And this is this anointing, this setting apart for a purpose. I have set my spirit upon him, and notice what the outcome is. Now, here we learn something. There is a relationship between the moving of the Spirit of God and the establishing of justice. The Spirit of God moves for justice, and justice is one of the character traits of God. 
So when the Spirit of God moves, we're going to see the character of God being manifested in, in many different ways, in, in different degrees. So we read here that, that I have set my Spirit upon him, justice to who? Justice for the nations he will bring forth. Now, this is important because it tells us that the work of Messiah is going to be beyond simply the Jewish people, simply the land of Israel and those who dwell there of, of the descendants of Jacob. Once again, God's purposes, God's plan, what God is up to, and what Messiah is going to bring about is going to be much greater. It is going to have an effect in God's creation, in all of his creation. As we see in the new covenant, to the outermost parts of the earth. So Messiah, he's got a broad assignment beyond that of simply Israel. Look now to, to verse 2. Messiah, he has power, but in order to accomplish this, he is going to use more his authority. And think of it this way. We know that God brings about his will by speaking. He says, let there be, and there will be. God doesn't have to scream, yell. He simply speaks. In fact, it was Elijah that heard that, that small, still voice. And even though it's a small voice, because it comes with authority, what it says is going to be brought about. Sometimes people have got to yell, make a commotion in order to get people's attention, in order to, to say something that there's going to be a result of. But this is not the case with God, nor the Son of God. So we read here in verse 2, He will not shout, and nor lift up, and the implication is lift up his voice. And here again, in a loud, in a boisterous manner. He's going to speak. It is the power of his word, not the volume of that word, but the power, the anointing that's appointed, the authority that he commands, that he simply speaks, not yells, but he speaks, and there is going to be a response. There will be an outcome. So once more, verse, verse 2, he will not shout, and nor will he lift up. He will not cause to be heard outside. Now, outside is in the streets, in the, the outdoor places. He's not going to have to go someplace, make many people hear. It is not a necessity for, for the world to hear for Messiah to accomplish and to do what God ultimately wants him to do, and that is to establish justice and righteousness in the world. So he will not cause to be heard outside, in the public places, in other words. Some will say in the streets. He will not cause to be heard his voice. It is not a necessity. 
that those hear him in order that what God wants to be established. Think of it this way. Many times people speak, they give orders, and then other people carry it out. They have to hear to know what to do. There's an authority in that word, but that word in and of itself, it's only the significance of it that causes others to behave so the outcome is according to the proclamation. But what the scripture is saying here is something that's quite different. It is the word itself that contains authority and power. Now, the authority is also his, but because it's his word, it has authority and it will produce an outcome, the word itself. That's what's being emphasized, the power of his speech, not the volume of it, but simply the power that contained in his words. Verse 3. Now again, does Messiah have, have power, strength? Of course he does. But is his power and strength necessary to accomplish what, what the Father has given to him? No. It's his authority. It is his word, not the loudness of it, but the power that his words contain. So in verse 3, a bruised reed, something that's very fragile, he says. A bruised reed he will not break. So he's not coming with a, a massive amount of strength in order to, to accomplish and, and to set things in order. Now we think of an army, an army that is strong, mighty, that has numerous weapons. They come. And it's because of their power that they're able to bring about a desired change. What we're saying here is that Messiah, it's not because of this great power. Does he have great power? Yes, he does. But it's an outcome of his authority. The, the power that's contained in what he says. This is what's being emphasized to us. So a bruised reed, he will not break. And then it talks about a, a grain. Most Bibles will say flax. And, and this is easily consumed by fire. So a burning or a, a smoking piece of flax, he will not extinguish. Now, what is it saying here? Well, only a little bit of wind will cause flax to be extinguished. It is very quickly burned up. So a little bit of air, a little bit of oxygen, will it will be quenched immediately. It will go out because it will be burned up. But it's saying that he goes by. And when someone walks by, you oftentimes feel the, the breeze that, that their body produces when they walk past. But here, it's not necessary. His movement is not what's going to bring about the outcome. So this uh, smothering uh, uh, flax, it will not be extinguished. And then he says, of truth, he will bring forth or cause to go forth 
justice. Now, it's all about justice, but his truth, of truth, by means of truth, it is going to be what brings about justice, the power, the authority of the truth. So we see truth and justice. This is what, what characterizes him. This is what's going to bring about the outcome that, that is in agreement with the will of God. Verse, verse 4. He will not extinguish. He will not bruise. Meaning these other things. He's not going to do these things. Until what? Until he sets in the land. And this can be the earth justice. So the third time we see that Messiah, the servant of the Lord, what is he committed to? Justice. What is he going to bring about? That which is proper in the sight of God. Verse 4. He will not uh, uh, extinguish. He will not uh, bruise until he sets in the earth justice. And notice the next word. And for his law, the ends of the earth, these are the distant places, the isles, they will hope. So we see here, undeniably, a connection between God's justice by means of what? His law, his Torah. So it's not this power, but rather it is the truth and what we see here is that this truth is now being, being revealed within a Torah context. That Messiah stands on bringing forth the law, his law, that is necessary if justice is going to be experienced. The last part of this verse where it says the, the distant places. It's the modern Hebrew word for an island, but it's in the plural, islands. And this word simply means, can mean literally an island, but it can also mean places which are far removed, places that are a great distance away from the seat of authority. And if one can control the distant places, have an impact upon them, then it shows one's strength, one's power, one's, one's anointing. And this is what the scripture is boldly saying. They're going to, these ones in distant places, they're going to, to wait patiently in hopefulness for what God is promising through his servant in verse, verse 5. For thus said the God, the Lord, the creator of heavens. Now, normally we find the creator of heavens and earth. But here there's an emphasis only on the heavens. And the heavens in, in many ways relate to a kingdom. And the reason why I say it is that oftentimes in the new covenant, it emphasizes the heavens, but we're talking about the kingdom of God. So when we read here in verse 5, this passage where it says, thus said, not says, but said, it is a language construction that speaks to 
What has not been will be, and it's assured of that. So thus said the God, the Lord, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them forth. He puts things in order. And we're learning a principle. You probably have heard me speak about Tau ve Homer. And what it means is this. If, if he can do, if someone's able to do something that's really difficult, then he can do something that's not so difficult, just logical. So if indeed that he can stretch forth the heavens and put them in order, it shouldn't be hard for us to accept that the same one is able to set in order the things of this world, of the earth. So we read, this one who is the creator of the heavens, he stretches them forth and he, he beats. Now this is also a word that means to, to put into a right condition. He's going to beat this is with, with force, the earth, and the things that go forth from it. Oftentimes, this is a synonym for, for people, for descendants. But here, it's probably a more general idea of all the things that go forth from the earth. He is going to do something, and that is for certain ones, the people that are upon the earth, it says, that he is going to give breath. And this is the word neshema, which literally is a spirit. So he's going to cause these people to be not, not animals, but living spirits. They're going to be unique, different from all of his creation. So he's going to give to them the, the spirit. He's going to give to who? The people. And the implication is dwells upon the earth. And a spirit, and here again is just parallelism, the word nishema and ruach, the word for, for breath and spirit, and spirit to the ones who walk in it. So the inhabitants of, of this world. We see that there's an emphasis in two things. God bringing change to this world and the ones who dwell in this world. Verse 6. I, the Lord, have called you. Now, many of the translations capitalize you here. Why? Because it's God who is calling, and he has called you, and the you here is the servant of the Lord. And the implication is, it's the Son of God, it is Messiah. And that's why many English translations capitalize this to help the reader understand that this is indeed a messianic prophecy. Once more, verse 6, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. And this is just to help the reader understand that everything that Messiah is about has to do with righteousness. He works out righteousness. His creation is not going to, and I'm speaking about what God has created in this world, the world that human beings live in, there won't be righteousness apart from Messiah himself. He's the source of it. So I am the Lord. I have called you, meaning you, Messiah, in righteousness. I will hold your hand 
I will keep you. And all of this goes back to what we saw in verse 1, where it says, Behold my servant, I will uphold him. I will support him. I will help him. Now in verse 6, we're seeing just an, an illustration of what God has already promised when he says here, verse 6, I will hold your hand, I will keep you, and I will give you. So he's supporting, and why is he supporting? In order to show his, his desire for, and notice what it said as we keep reading, I will set you for a covenant of the people and a light for the nations. Now here again, it is so important that we see that this is prophecy. Prophecy is oftentimes written down in Hebrew poetry. We, in our study of the book of Psalms, we emphasize that, that the chief characteristic of Hebrew poetry is parallelism. And what we see here in this text, and it's very easy to see the parallelism, he says, I'm going to set you as a covenant. And what is connected to the covenant here? Light. And light so frequently in the scripture is, is, is spoken of, used for the purpose of revealing something, revelation. And what the takeaway for us here is this. It is only when you are in a covenantal relationship with God that you can see, perceive, receive the revelation, the illumination of God. Without that covenant, you are going to be in darkness. So he promises, I will keep you. I will set you, give you over for a covenant. And this can only be Messiah. He's the one that's connected to this new covenant. I will set you for a covenant of the people and light among the nations. People and nations, they're parallel to one another. To do what? Verse 7. To open up the eyes of the blind ones and to bring forth this is a word of freedom. It's also a word for, for a redemptive context. And to bring forth from the prison, the prisoner. And from the prison house, the ones who dwell in darkness. Now, when we dwell in darkness, what is that going to make us? There's only one answer. When we understand the parallelism of the text. Things go with one another in an undeniable way. And what is parallel to, to those who are in darkness are, is the term prison. Those who, just let's look at it very carefully, where he says, the ones who dwell in darkness, those ones, he says, are the ones who are in prison. And it's because we do not see the illumination, have that illumination, that we're going to be in darkness, and that darkness is going to lead us to bondage. That's what he's saying. When we're in darkness, we will not have the freedom to serve God. We won't understand truth. We won't be able to utilize truth. We will be in bondage like someone 
who is in the prison house. Verse 8. I, the Lord, that is my name. So again, God here when he says, this is my name, it's the term yud vav which speaks about the God who was, is, and will be. It makes mention to us of the God who's unique. And here, what's parallel with my name? It's the term, my glory. What is the meaning of name? Character. So when we understand the name of God, his character, we're going to understand what is glorious. It's the character of God that's glorious. And he says to another, I will not give. And my praise, the implication is, I will not give to, to statues, to idols, to carved images. The word here is pestle, which is an object of, of idolatry. So God simply says to another, I'm not going to give my, my glory. And then he says, nor my praise to, to statutes. And the imp implication here is this. We are either going to be one who is moved by the character of God, entering into a covenantal relationship with God, and through that covenantal relationship, we are going to have illumination, understanding. There's going to be light. And therefore, we're going to have our eyes open up through this relationship with God. Or the opposite is going to be the case. We're going to reject that covenant. We won't have the light. Our eyes will not be open up and we will not have any hope. That's how verse 8 concludes. I'm not going to give my hope to, to idols and those certainly who worship idols. Verse 9, he speaks about the former things. He says, behold, they, they are coming. And, and secondly, he says, and the new things I will declare before they are. Now, let's go back. I want to translate this properly. It says, the former things, behold, they came. So they have already been done, those former things. And the new things, I am declaring before these newer things burst forth, springs forth. And he says, I will cause you to hear. This is all about what? About God's revelation. We see that Messiah is coming. He is one who is going to give of himself. This is his call. To establish a covenant, a new covenant. And it's through this new covenant experience that justice is going to be manifested. That righteousness is going to be established. That there's going to be illumination. Light is going to shine. Only through the work of Messiah, understanding who he is and what he has done. And that light is going to give vision. It's going to open up our eyes so that we can behave differently, that we can be individuals that are set free from bondage, that we can go forth and what God has done in the past, those former things that have come into being, 
Why is that there? It tells us that what God has said in the past, he's kept. He's brought these things into being. And now, through Messiah, his ministry, his work, these new things, they are going to spread forth. They are going to burst forth, sprout forth. And he is going to tell this to us before they are. Why? So that we can understand what God's up to, what he's going to do, so we can have the privilege of participating with God, being about and committed to and recipients of his work. The question is simply this, does that interest me? Those who know the servant of the Lord, they're going to want to become a servant as well. And in fact, from a new covenant standpoint, that servant, and I'm speaking of Messiah, he becomes our life. In fact, our life is hidden in him. And what we see is in the same way that there is this, this union, this relationship between Israel and the Messiah, there is also, and it's even better, between Messiah and the congregation of redeemed. His body of believers, we are going to be unified with him. And not just a same thinking, not just a same desire, a same hope, but also we're going to be doing, behaving the same things that he would do when he was here 2,000 years ago. We're going to be committed to those things as we live them out, work towards them now in this age. So this 42nd chapter of Isaiah, it has much good news. And we'll see this in greater great detail next week when we move forward and complete this 42nd chapter. Until then, Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Thank you.